You're listening to the Live Yes with Arthritis podcast, created by the Arthritis Foundation to help people with arthritis and the people who love them live their best lives. If you're dealing with chronic pain, this podcast is for you. You may have arthritis, but it doesn't have you. Here, you'll learn how you can take control. Our host is Rebecca Gillette, an arthritis patient and occupational therapist who is joined by others to help you live your yes. This is an encore episode of our podcast about self-compassion and chronic pain, originally released in November of 2021. Thanks for joining us on the Live Yes with Arthritis podcast. The busy season of the holidays are upon us, and sometimes it's hard to take a minute to think about taking care of ourselves because it's the season of giving. But on today's episode, we are going to talk about self-compassion for yourself and chronic pain and why it's so important. For our guest co-host, we have Courtney Wells, who is a friend of the podcast and has been a guest before and also a patient with arthritis, as well as a social worker. Courtney, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Rebecca. I'm very honored to be here or to be back, I should say. I really love the podcast. So having a little bit of mindfulness right around the holidays to me, I think is a perfect fit. So that's why we're excited to have our guest expert today with us to help us understand a little bit more about self-compassion and the pain connection. Dr. Christiane Wolf is an internationally known certified mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher based in Los Angeles. She's also the director of the Department of Veteran Affairs National Mindfulness Training Program for Clinicians. Her new book, Outsmart Your Pain, is a transformative guide to finding relief through self-compassion and mindfulness. Welcome to the show, Dr. Wolf. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here today. Thank you for joining us. Your book is amazing and wanted you to share a little bit about how you got interested in using self-compassion and mindfulness to help treat chronic pain conditions. I'm a trained gynecologist and actually a oncological gynecologist. And so back in, when I worked in with cancer patients, I was already a meditator but I was not teaching meditation, but I noticed a couple of things. So one, I noticed that my own meditation practice really helped me to support the patients in a better way, just with the presence, with kindness, with compassion, with not being so outcome focused, right? So like, of course, healing is really important and that's what we all want. And as we know with cancer, that's not always possible. And the other thing was that I really noticed like how wildly different the response of people was to a cancer diagnosis and through their whole cancer journey. And that really got me curious to really question, so how much is the mind and our resources, our resilience, like how are they responsible for how we are dealing with or coping with like what life throws at us? I really appreciate that, your approach of realizing that the need for kindness and how you interact with your patient is what we're all looking for. Can you walk us through the different factors that mold the pain experience for people? Our nervous systems is actually made for acute pain experience. So when we step on something, let's say like a thorn or Right. So there is a direct correlation between the level of tissue damage and the amount of pain that we're experiencing. That is not the case with chronic pain. Acute pain is protective, chronic pain is overprotective. So some of people say, like, so why is your book called Outsmart Your Pain? And I say, like, well, I could also call it Outsmart Your Brain. Mm. Our brain tries to protect us. And so how do we usually try to protect something that has happened before? We try to catch it sooner. So our brain catches what it interprets as pain sooner and sooner. So it becomes sensitized or overly sensitized. And now anybody with chronic pain knows that, right? It just like sometimes anything can really set it up. 
and start something. And so that is really important to know that. So there is not necessarily a correlation between the tissue damage and the level of pain in chronic pain. Right. So back to your question, different components of pain is so in mindfulness, we are breaking down our experience basically in three big buckets, components. And of course they're overlapping and only one of them is the physical sensation. So that would be like the physical aspect of the pain. And then we have the emotional aspect. And then we have the meaning or the story or the thoughts about the pain. The mind wanders. And where does it wander to? It wanders into the past or into the future. And then it tells a story there. It tells a story about what happened in the past why I'm ending up here, why I shouldn't be where I am right now. So, and that makes us usually feel bad or angry or frustrated or hopeless. And then we have the stories about the future, right? So like there's maybe a pain in this moment and the mind goes like, the last time that happened, I ended up with a really big flare up and had to take medication, had all these sides effect and right. And that might happen again. So there's fear, which we also feeling in this moment. And so the mind trying to be helpful, like we're <laughs> it's really trying to help, is really making it so much worse. And so mindfulness really helps with that to really look at, to break it down, these three components to say, in this moment, what is actually the hardest thing to be with right now? Is it really the physical component or the physical aspect? Or is it the emotion that's really hard to be with right now? Or the story that I can't mm -hmm. let go of? So in your book, I think you call that the box called pain. So can you explain that? Yes. So for most people, we put all of these three components into a big box. We write pain on it. And then we try to not think about it, avoid it, kind of push it somewhere where we don't have to deal with it. And we know distraction works really well up to a certain point. And there's really good research showing that distraction actually works better with acute pain and with chronic pain. So we're not trying to get rid of distraction. What we want to do is we want to basically just take the box and look inside. Because then suddenly we see like, like you know, when you get like these big Amazon packages, like sometimes there's a lot of package and there's not that much in it. How do we sometimes make the pain worse when we, when we do focus on it? Or sometimes when we're trying not to focus on it, it can become more scary or more overwhelming. Yes. Yeah. How our psychology works is like we try to avoid something and by this pushing away, we actually make it worse. So we have the saying, what we resist persists. Mm -hmm. None of what our brain does or our system does or what we do is shameful. We're just trying to get along. We just try to deal with things the best we can. And this is where the compassion and the self-compassion comes in. Yeah. So, but the mind makes it really bigger by then, of course, telling these stories about it. And what's really interesting is so sometimes these stories can be a distraction because I'm kind of telling myself the story over here, which is painful, but I still believe that this is not as bad as actually feeling the pain over here, the real pain. Sometimes once we actually allow ourselves to turn towards the physical sensations, they're not as scary. When I started using mindfulness and meditation, I, I really struggled for lots of different reasons, like most people do. And I have some memories of sitting in retreats and, and just breaking into tears because I was trying to avoid, if I was doing a body scan and I was trying to avoid certain parts of my body. It's a good point, Courtney, because for a lot of people, we're asking them to tune into their pain. And that's the one thing they're trying to avoid. So for people who really struggle with that, what advice do you give to those who are afraid to truly tune into their pain? What I try to encourage people is to always ask yourself is what's the kindest thing to do right now? Mm. The kindest thing would be to put on a movie right now or to call a friend. Great, do that. And then what is very interesting, we have some evidence that because the pain is so bad, so what do we do? We try not to feel the pain. 
And then often people, when we say like, so how's the pain today? Like, what would be a typical response? You say like, the pain is killing me or it's terrible. And two things. So first of all, that is what you're telling yourself, meaning there's something in you that is killing you or that is terrible. And I think just the way that we listen to ourselves really has an impact on our system, which just makes it more fearful and more tense. The other thing about that is terrible or killing is not a sensation. It's an interpretation. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. So we go in and say like, what does it feel like right now? Is it cold? Is it hot? Is it tearing? Is it stabbing? Is it searing? Is it the texture? Is it rough? Is it smooth? You can't say, oh, yesterday it was like this. It's like, no, no. What about right now? And then you go like, wait. And that is mindfulness. And then so you bring this quality of curiosity and openness to it. And then what happens is what people start to notice is it changes. And often what people, of course, say is like the pain is always there or it's always bad. And then when we get them to like pick up the courage and with kindness and curiosity to look, they go like, it's not always there. Because usually I'm only noticing, I'm only kind of vaguely going that direction once the pain is really bad. I never check when it's not in pain. And so that, of course, influences, again, the story of, that I tell myself about the pain. It's terrible. It's killing me. It's always there. It's relentless. And so what we start to do with this practice is we start to break that up. And then with that, we start to change the narrative. I think part of the problem for us, if you live with a form of arthritis, is that you might not just have one type of arthritis yes. and you have different yes. types of pain. And so when you're in a lot of pain, sometimes it is hard to just push through because then you don't want people to feel sorry for you. You don't mm -hmm. want to feel like you're always complaining. And I know that's something, you know, I feel that all the time. Like a lot of us are very guilty of always saying, oh, I'm fine. I'm yeah. okay. Yeah. I am at the point where I don't answer in that standard response anymore. I'm okay. Just okay. People will say, and I'll say, yeah, just okay. <laughs> because I'm not great. I'm not fine. I'm okay. But same thing with your pain. You go to the doctor's office and they'll ask you, what's your pain level today? Well, with my RA, I'm fine, but my spine issues are giving me pain. So I can compartmentalize that pain. But, you know, so not wanting to feel pitied all the time, but just being articulate about what my pain actually is, I think has helped me realize that I can get through each day. And then on some days, the pain isn't as bad in my spine, right? Help keep the tradition going strong at the Arthritis Foundation's Jingle Bell Run, the most festive holiday run for a reason. Spread good cheer and raise funds for a great cause. Be there with bells on to run or take a stroll or just cheer on others from the sideline. It's not too early to register now for Jingle Bell Run at arthritis.org slash JBR. How do you differentiate self-compassion from self-pity? Because that's a hard thing to get to as well. As you said, it's like people don't want other people to feel pity for them because you, of course, you want to be seen as strong and capable and like being able to hold up your responsibilities and all of this. And that makes so much sense. So here's where um, self-compassion really is different. So if you think about self-pity and if you have self-pity, what you're telling yourself is basically the story of poor me. A lot of people with chronic pain, they actually feel very isolated because they don't know other people who have the same illness. So it makes total sense that the brain would, would go like, yeah, that's just you. And everybody else is like leading a happy life around you. And that just usually makes us feel more isolated. Self-pity feels contracting. And it contracts around the person of me or who I think I am. and how I feel I should be different. Self-compassion actually is opening up the space to feel 
in connection with all the other people who also have to go through this at this point or whoever have felt that way. And this is really, I mean, this is the power of support groups. Right. Pain is part of life. And we have this capacity in our nervous systems. If we can connect on this level of seeing really like, I'm not the only person, we carry this together that can bring a big amount of relief in our system. It's just amazing how that works. So self-compassion, so has like these two main components. One is this, what I just shared, which we call like shared humanity. So imagine like a friend comes to you and they're going through a really rough spot or they made a big mistake and they're so, they feel so terrible and they feel so shamed. And you wouldn't just say like, how stupid are you? I can't believe that you just did that or made that. Like, what's wrong with you? Just toughen up, just get over it. But often, and then we flip that and we say like, so now you're in that situation. How are you talking to yourself? And people go like, oops, right? Yeah. What we're learning with self-compassion is really we're learning to be a good friend to ourselves. And I think really our, our nervous system responds to that. There's some research that shows the neurotransmitters that are expressed like in our brains. There is something really soothing about just the saying like, this is a hard moment or this is rough right now. And just the kindness and just the acknowledgement. And again, like sometimes do this to ourselves or when a friend says like, oh, I can see that's hard right now. And then your whole system goes like, yes, yes. Thank you for seeing that. And again, this being seen, being heard, instead of just always having to be strong and like pretending we're fine and (laughs) all that you shared, Rebecca, earlier. Right. It's the validation, right? I think it's a validation that so many of us seek and people with arthritis often, it's an invisible disability. Yes. Yes. Some people might think that accepting the pain though is giving into it. So what's the difference there? It's like, if I give into it, then it means it says yes, and it will always be here and it will just like wash me away or no, no, no. Mindfulness is the awareness that arises when we pay attention on purpose, moment by moment and non-judgmentally. So there's something that we do on purpose. And then this is the beautiful thing is we only do it moment by moment. And that is really where we enter with like the surrender versus giving up. What we're asking is like, can you allow this to be here in this moment? Why? Because it is already here. And we start to see more clearly with mindfulness and also with kindness, like how fighting it in this moment usually makes it worse. That really resonates also with my research. I've done some work about grief and how for a lot of people with rheumatic diseases in particular, they have a lot of things that they've had to give up in their life or or things in some of that's the past and some of that's the future. And yes, I find myself often talking to people about the power of acceptance and how if you work through that process, there is, it's not going to go away on the other side. I always talk about you have muscles, like you strengthen your muscles and then you're able to face that with more compassion and more peace and strength and all of that. Yeah. Grief is a big, big, scary topic for, for many people, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It often isn't addressed in the the world of chronic disease and maybe Mm -hmm. more now than it used to be, but Mm -hmm. I know as for me, as a kid growing up with arthritis, there was never any discussion about my emotions, let alone this thing of grief. What is that? Yes. At the Arthritis Foundation, we are helping people live their best life, right? We live yes and and trying to be cheerleaders for people because it's all about all of us having to say no. We feel like as soon as you're diagnosed, all you hear are, well, no, I can't do that anymore. With this idea of self-compassion and mindfulness, how, how are you seeing it in, in your work, transform people's experience of pain? And you too, Courtney, because 
this is your area of research too. This thing about acceptance, that's a really challenging topic. So we say like with something like acceptance or kindness or compassion, it's like it's an invitation. We are training that so that it's like we are opening a window or a door repeatedly so that kindness and compassion can come in. We can't make them come in. It's just like with other people. It's like if you have like somebody standing in front of your house, like it helps if you have the door open, but you can't make them come in. So that, I think that's a good framework to think about this because I hear that so often that people say, oh, this whole like kindness and compassion, that doesn't work. And acceptance, you got to be kidding me, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to accept this. Right. So the way that I talk about this is like, okay, makes total sense. And this is a journey, just like also with the grief, of course. And how about, can you acknowledge it? Can you acknowledge? And then, because that's something we can make ourselves acknowledge something. So can you acknowledge that the pain is here right now? People go like, yeah, I can, because it is. Okay, so that's the first step. And really important, you don't have to like it, but can you just say, instead of pretending it's not there, it's not so bad, we turn towards, we call that the U-turn, and we say, yeah, it's here and it's bad. And just the... That starts really, like in my experience, kind of the, the path of transformation. So we acknowledge it. And then for me, the second step is then, can we allow it for this moment? And again, just for this moment. And notice what happens when you do that compared to saying, I don't allow it to be here, but fact is, it is here. So we're working really with like softening our attitude towards it. And then over time, we can maybe have a moment of like, oh, I can accept that this is here. And it is in this moment. I accept it in this moment. It doesn't mean like I will still accepting it tomorrow <laughs> or next week. And again, this is like the, the, the moment by moment piece that is, is so important with mindfulness. Different people really use different tools. And this is one of the reasons that really like the, the book that I've written, the book has 20 chapters with 20 different approaches, practices, and then a guided meditation because it really works differently, right? So some people like Courtney, as you're saying, like they need to work on grief. That's where they get stuck. Other people really need to work a lot more on self-compassion. Other people have to work more on just really opening their eyes again to all the beautiful things that are in life too. Right? And so there are all these different ways, like kind of doorways in in different times in your life. And it's not a one size fits all. So like one of my patients says, like, like I have two full-time jobs, just one to handle the chronic pain. And then I have my full-time job that earns my money. And they're often in conflict with each other. Oh, and then I have a relationship and my mother is sick. And we have a pandemic, right? And so like all of these things, of course, influence as stress levels influence that. But yeah, people can lower the intensity of the pain. That kind of we call that dialing down. Like what I started with is like the hyperprotective brain by really doing these practices, also not taking things so personally. That's a big one. So that I don't make myself into I'm the pain patient or I am the person who can't do X, Y, Z anymore. Because that if I make that into like a solid identity, that limits my life. So instead, when we're just saying, this is an experience that I'm having. And this is how I'm relating to that experience but it's not who I am because this is not defining me. So that is a, a really, really helpful approach. What is the research behind using self-compassion and mindfulness as a way of managing your pain experience? Yeah. So the area of research is quite complex around pain because pain is so complex People will often say like, yeah, of course, stress level goes up in some area of my life. And there's often a direct correlation to like the intensity of pain that I'm in. So the autoimmune component of chronic pain conditions is very, very prevalent. 
And what it is, it is like a way of the body attacking itself, which is, if we think about it, like self-criticism is also a way of attacking ourselves. I find the overlap also with some mental health therapies to be really interesting and extremely helpful that, I mean, even in my time as a social worker, the education and training didn't used to include anything about mindfulness. And now almost every single class includes mindfulness. And that's wonderful because they really are, they work together very well. And I hope that it only just becomes stronger and and more accessible to people. I think that's a lot of my concerns is that it isn't, when I bring up the idea of mindfulness, people sometimes have these ideas that it's not for me or my type of people, or it's not accessible. I can't afford it. The Arthritis Foundation is always looking for new ways to inform you about the things you want to know more about. Check out our webinars in real time or on demand. Visit arthritis.org slash webinars to learn more. What are some other self-care activities that can help people with their pain experience? It can be very different for different people. I have a lot of people who really say like, I need to carve out some time for myself. So I have three kids. It's just, I get up before everybody else in our house. I need it quiet and I need not anybody speaking to me for like the first like hour in the morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's part of myself. For coffee. <laughs> for, yeah. And I meditate during that time. But for other people, it might be really like gentle movement. Not everybody is actually can sit still in that way. Because, and especially if you have a lot of discomfort or pain in the body, you don't want to just sit still and feel all of this. So can you be mindful as you do Tai Chi or Qigong or just like gentle stretching, go for a walk. If you have a pool or like you live close to like a body of water, if that is something you can do, go for a swim and really take some time to mindfully pet your cat. I mean, that's just something really powerful about, again, like it's connection. Really feel how soft the fur is and how much you love that animal. And that can be really a mindful activity. And I think it's also kindness that is in there. But it's also really, I mean, coming back to what you said earlier, Rebecca, this idea of saying no, that's really hard for a lot of people. And especially if you're forced, if your body forces you, like sometimes we say like, right, your body says no for you. Sometimes you need to listen to it, right? Sometimes (laughs) you need to listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. And then we can see really our patterns. How are we not listening to our bodies? And then what happens next? So this whole process of just tuning more in with ourselves, I think in the end, at least that's my experience, is more helpful than these ideas that are more external. It's just lighting a candle or listening to some music, which is really, I don't want to put that down. But if, if it doesn't penetrate, if we can't take that really in, just like self-compassion, it's not changing anything. It can be distraction sometimes. It could be a total distraction. Yeah. So this idea is just like that we say, like change starts with it. <laughs> I really believe in that. Yeah. I really like this idea also of your collecting pearls. Mm-hmm. It'd be mm-hmm. great if you could say a little bit about that. So what we're doing with this practice is we're starting to use a practice of saying yes and. Because where it's not Pollyanna-ish, we're saying, oh, everything is great. No, everything is not great. But what we're looking at is, so for example, good example is to say like, so in this moment, what's a percentage of your body that is in pain compared to the percentage of your body that is not in pain right now? And while, of course, sometimes people say like my entire body is in pain, that is rather the exception. For most people, they have areas that are in pain, but most of the time, more of the body is not in pain than it is in pain. So part of the practice is we can open that up and say, yes, the knee hurts. And in this moment, the rest of the body is actually not in pain. So we say, yes, and yes, the knee hurts and the rest of the body is not in pain. And that is a way to retraining the brain to go like, okay, that can be both at the same time. And that can be a big relief. 
but we're also, as something pleasurable happens, we start to pause for a moment and say like, where do I feel that in my body? And as we do this, that reinforces that in our body. And that is something that goes into our implicit memory of like, how does life feel like? Because often when we are, have to deal with chronic pain, because there's this hyper-focus on the unpleasant, often like people coming in and say, like, there was not, not one pleasant moment today. And when they do this practice, say, okay, but then start looking for something pleasant. Mm. Just take a moment. If there was something pleasant right now in your experience, in this moment, what would that be? And they go like, I look around and I say, oh, like the flowers on my table or like being with you guys on this call. That's pleasant. And so do you see that that is a retraining? Mm, yeah. So every time you have a little moment, like, oh, here's a little pearl. And I put that in my bucket because those are the moments that I remember. Yeah, I love that analogy because it is hard when you are in pain to try to find those positive moments sometimes. But I love the idea and the visual of collecting pearls. So thank you for that analogy. That's great. A lot of our listeners might also be caregivers of people of chronic pain or parents of children who have yes. a chronic pain condition or type of arthritis. How does this type of advice about showing self-compassion and practicing some mindfulness apply to them as well? Self-compassion also applies to them. And you can say, it's really hard in this moment, right? Because you care so much about the person that you're caring for. And then it's really helpful to look at the fact that you have to also protect yourself. And if you're very empathic, right, we really might feel the pain of the other person really deeply. And at the same time, to be aware that that is actually not helping the other person. Research shows there's a difference between empathy and compassion. So empathy is more this, I feel your pain. So that is just, I see another person in pain. And if I'm an empathic person, I will feel your pain. But there is no buffer. And so that is why often caregivers and not just like family caregivers, but also like people who work in the healthcare field burn out, especially therapists. They, because like, it's just like one pain after the other, like walks through your door. Compassion is actually not about fixing, but about being with somebody who's in pain or my own pain, if it's up compassion, regardless of the outcome. I'm here no matter what. That is what compassion is about. And really compassion or the love buffers the, the burnout. So right now, if I can't change this, can I have more ease or peacefulness with it? And that is a very powerful practice also for caregivers in particular for parents, right? It's like, you're not helping your child. And this is not like wagging your finger. It's just like, but if you feel the pain, it's not helping your child. And, but there's often guilt around like not feeling the pain because your loved one, and in particular, if it's your child is in pain, really for the caregivers, really do something that nourishes you and that fills you up and do something that has not to do with the person that you're taking care of. And usually really the person who is in pain is glad to support that in the other person. If you're in pain and you know that your, your spouse or your parent is suffering so badly, that kind of makes it even heavier on you because now you feel responsible, right? I see Courtney nodding, right? So then you also feel like, oh, I'm doing that to my parents. I'm doing this to my partner. And you often feel like you have to carry that. I know that's something yes. I've experienced myself, but also have talked with many young people who've grown up and... yes felt that yeah. they had to hold that for their parents yes because they didn't want they wanted to protect their parents of course of course right which leads in the whole like i'm fine i don't need anything just powering through and and again like when we can see how much of that is really motivated by love and care and it, it, again it just makes me makes me very tender I've seen so many kids who have juvenile arthritis and 
done some interviews with them and when they see their parent become emotional talking about their child's journey it's really hard it's really hard and i've experienced that too when my son can articulate oh my mom has arthritis and she's had a lot of surgeries and stuff like that it it's heartbreaking for me to hear him Mm -hmm. talk about it too All year long, the Arthritis Foundation is putting a spotlight on how serious chronic arthritis pain really is. We're also sharing inspirational stories, as well as tips, solutions, and resources to help manage your specific type of arthritis pain. Visit arthritis.org slash pain. A new segment of the podcast that we do, Dr. Wolf and Courtney, is a listener segment about taking comments and tips from our listeners on the topic. So we we posted on social media, what kind of things do you do to show yourself compassion and for mm-hmm. self-care? Mm-hmm. Somebody on Instagram named Chastity shared with us that she uses Dr. Teal's sleep lotion after a bath or shower, and it helps her to relax and helps her fall asleep. And I have to vouch for taking like an Epsom salt lavender bath that when I do that, that's some of my best sleep. I have to admit that I'm trying to talk my husband right now into getting a better bathtub so that I can (laughs) (laughs) just to take a moment to myself and close the door and be able to breathe and and relax in the heat. Mm -hmm. We're always saying make sleep a priority, but that is a a form of self-care and and self-compassion to know that, you know, I need to, I need to make sure I get my sleep. Yes. And it's hard because sometimes we know like when we're in pain, the body isn't sleeping and it doesn't matter how early I go to bed or how much I take care of the, just do like the sleep hygiene. Right. And also it's just like sleep is not always curing the tiredness that comes with chronic illness. But in general, the same principles with sleep apply is notice what usually like as when we can't sleep, the mind starts to spiral into, oh, I need to sleep. If I don't sleep, I won't have enough. It will be a terrible day tomorrow. It's like I have all these things to do. And if I so it, it spirals. And what we want to do then is to notice that with kindness. And I, of course, the mind does that, tries to help and then focus on something that is not the mind. And the next person here named Amy Lynn, she says, this is so important. And I was never taught this until my 40s when a cousin told me to be gentle with yourself. Right. Yeah. Not in our culture. Not in yeah. our culture. It, we're go, 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 you know, yeah. Yeah. go big or go home. But yeah. it's hard to just stop and take a minute and take a breath. And, and to, like you said, most people are kinder to a friend or, you know, we'll think about that way. But when you turn the table and think about being kind and gentle to yourself, that's a little harder. Yeah. Pill to swallow, right? (laughs) Another one that somebody mentioned, Dana, was chocolate, simply chocolate. (laughs) I love that one. Oh, yeah. Once in a while, we all need some chocolate, right? Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And Amanda said, allowing myself to rest when I feel tired. I'm constantly on the go. I enjoy my rest days with a hot cup of tea and the Hallmark Channel. I have to admit, when I read that one, I was like, that sounds like a really good idea. Can I just do that tomorrow? (laughs) (laughs) But it's true. And one of the key words, I think, in what Amanda's comment is, is allowing myself. Right, Dr. Wolf? Allowing myself to finish the sentence, to rest, to sleep, to take a bath, to go have a minute. Yeah. And allowing myself not to finish my to-do list. Yeah. So one of the ways we love to end our podcast, Dr. Wolf and Courtney, was with our top three takeaways from this conversation. I really liked how you talked about what was happening in the brain and what was happening in our bodies. And when we try to retrain, that, that makes a lot of sense with my training. And it's presented a little bit differently than how I've heard it too. And I found that extremely helpful. And then I love your pearls piece. I, 
I'm going to use that for sure. Cause I know I need more joy in my life. I find myself saying that a lot because it's just go, go, especially during the pandemic, it's just been nonstop yeah. and, yeah. and I need to do that more. And I'm also going to encourage other people. So those practices are just really useful bits of information. So Dr. Wolf, your top three takeaways. I think the main takeaway is always like, be kind be kind to yourself. See that like your whole body, your, your body is trying to heal. Your brain is trying to help you. And then really like, so mindfulness, like turning towards experience with curiosity and just saying that what is here? Like what are, what's actually here? What are the components? Really helpful. And to see like where we adding to the pain without being aware of it and, and letting go of that. And then really this encouragement of just like, Dare to go back into your body. You only have this one body. And there are ways how you can re-befriend the body, even if it's in pain. And there's a really beautiful quote, and maybe that's what I would like to end with, is by Najira Wahid. And she said, and I said to my body softly, I want to be your friend. And it took a deep breath and replied, I've been waiting my whole life for this. And I just love that because so many I of love us, we're, we're not really friends with our bodies and having a chronic illness and having chronic pain is kind of making it even harder. And yet here is this one body, the only body that we'll ever have. Now can we learn to make friends with that? Thank you so much, Dr. Wolf, for joining us. Thank you, Courtney, for joining me in this conversation. Tune into our show notes and check out Dr. Wolf's book, Outsmart Your Pain, that's coming out. Thank you. Thank you, Rebecca. So Dr. Wolf is going to walk us through a guided meditation. I think you call it the box we call pain, correct? Correct. Yes. Okay. And so if you haven't tried any mindfulness practices or guided meditation, give this one a try. Thank you. Yeah. And I just want to say just two sentences before we go into the meditation. Our mind tends to put the pain into a like box in our mind and tries to not touch that box. And part of the mindfulness practice is to turn towards that box that we call pain and look inside with kindness and with courage. And what we find inside is the three components of experience so most experience are made out of these three. And when you are in physical pain, then there are three components. So what we have is A, of course, the physical aspect. Then we also have the emotional aspect. So how are we feeling about this right now? And then we have thoughts about it. So what we also call the story. And we will look at these three components in this meditation. All right, so I'm inviting you to find a posture that is comfortable or as comfortable as possible, either sitting or lying down. You can also stand up if you like. Sometimes standing is the best possible option. And just taking a moment and checking in with yourself, noticing how you can make this more comfortable. And then starting by feeling into the support, into the support of the ground, chair, the bed. And then if the breath is a good anchor for you, bringing the attention to the sensations of the breath. If you like, you can make these next few rounds of breathing a little bit longer and deeper. So as a way to really feel the breath. So it's not thinking about the breath or visualizing it, but actually feeling it. 
And noticing where it's the easiest to connect with the sensations of the breath. That could be the nose at the tip of the nose or maybe the chest, maybe the belly. And then just letting the breath flow naturally so we don't have to do anything with it. We don't have to manipulate it. The body knows how to breathe. But we can use the breath as an anchor. Anchor we can come back to either when we get distracted or if it feels a little too intense in any given moment. And then turning the attention towards the pain. Maybe noticing where you're even checking as you hear me say this. And then seeing in this moment, out of the three parts or the three components, which I've mentioned, the physical sensations, the emotion, or the thoughts or the story, which out of the three is the strongest right now? So if you, that was a pie with three pieces, which one is the biggest piece? And that's what you would start with when you do this practice by yourself. And maybe just working with that part. In our practice here today, we will briefly go through all three so you have an idea how to work with these parts. So, and because often actually it's the story that's the hardest to be with. We'll start there. So, working with thoughts or with thinking, rather, noticing where do you experience thoughts or thinking in your system? When you realize you're thinking, where is that located? Is that within the body or within the head or above the head? And how, how do you know you're thinking? So how do you recognize thoughts? The images or words? Do you feel thoughts or hear them or see them? Can you be aware of thinking instead of being? the thoughts. And then we're moving the attention to the emotional field. And very similar here. So notice where do you even check for emotions in your body or in your system? Is that in your chest, your belly, your head? And what is here in this moment? Is there an emotion or maybe there are several? Do you know what they are? Can softly name them. So, for example, this is frustration or this is sadness or this is what sadness feels like. And then seeing if you can just track that in your body or in your system, just like with the thoughts, being aware of the emotion instead of being the emotion. And expressing that in the way that you talk to yourselves instead of saying, I'm anxious. And you say, there is a lot of anxiety here. Or this is what anxiety feels like. And notice what changes when you do that. It's part of the experience in this moment. 
And so sometimes we're noticing the presence of an emotion and then maybe also noticing its absence. What does that feel like when it's not there? And now moving to the actual sensations of the pain in this moment. So remember, we're not trying to feel the past pain or the future pain, but really checking in right now, in this moment. What is here right now? If it feels too much, you can kind of take a little bit more of a distance. We want to bring curiosity and openness to what is actually here right now. Where is it? And then you can see if you can describe that to yourself. So what are the qualities? For example, is it tense? Is it hard or more liquid? Have a temperature or a texture, a color or a shape? Does it change? Or does it stay exactly the same? And of course, when the mind wanders off, you can either bring it back to wherever we are, just bring it back to the breath. Exploring the sensations of this discomfort right now. These sensations. And then for right now, for this practice, just letting go of all the concepts and words and just resting back, opening awareness to include the whole body, or if you like, for a moment, even including the space around you, coming aware with your eyes closed of the room around you, the room that you're in. And again, maybe taking a couple of longer, deeper breaths as we are about to end this practice. And then when you're ready, just open your eyes and inviting movement or maybe a brief stretch back in. Thank you. The Live Yes with Arthritis podcast is independently produced by the Arthritis Foundation. This podcast aims to help people living with arthritis and chronic pain live their best life. People like you. For a transcript and show notes, go to arthritis.org slash podcast. Subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. And stay in touch.